If you have a Bible, turn to Habakkuk. <clears throat> I know you, that, that those pages are really well-worn. You've been to Habakkuk a lot lately, uh, so I know you know right where to go, but for the 98% of you here, go to the table of contents. It'll make it easier, or just go to Psalm right in the middle and move to the right, a few minor prophets, and you'll find it, all right? If you don't have a Bible, you have no idea what I'm talking about, no worries. There's a lot of you. Uh, just look for it up on the screen, and you'll see. Some people call it Habakkuk. Some people call it Habakkuk. Uh, I, I like to say um, uh, Habakkuk. But we're going to look at this man and, and something that he wrote thousands of years ago that relates to our life today. But how we're going to start today, and I'm going to date myself a little bit. This song came out when I was uh, just uh, probably early high school, maybe just leaving middle school, right around there, and uh, became really popular. And it keeps recycling, and you'll know why that is. But we're going to play Name That Tune. And um, don't tell anybody, it's not a Christian song. Okay, it's just, it's, we'll just move past that really quick, all right? Um, but um, we're going we're gonna to play this about five seconds and see if you guys can name it. I'll tell you who, who, what someone thought it was for a service. It was pretty funny. All right, go ahead. <clears throat> Anybody? Come on, if you're around 40, you know what this is. What is it? R.E.M.? Everybody hurts. Good job. If you know Tim Altoff, make fun of him. He said Unchained Melody. And, uh, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm not that old um, when it comes to Unchained Melody, okay? But it's, it's REM, Everybody Hurts. So come back. I'm going to play a little bit more for you in just a few minutes. But this song came out um, in the early 90s and uh, was hugely popular. And really, what the song is about, very simply, in fact, um, the, the lead singer here, um, Stipik, he, he even said, listen, I usually sing in ways that you don't quite understand, but on this song, I sang simply. In fact, the drummer wrote the song, and he doesn't even play on the song. He used this cheesy old, I don't know, it was a Casio, some sort of like just simple, cheesy drum machine, and they played it on purpose because they wanted this interplay between humanity and what was not human and the simplicity uh, and, and just the rawness of life. And they sang the song. In fact, I'll tell you a funny story. I grew, up in a, I grew up in a good church, but I grew up in kind of a strict church a little bit. Mine was a strict home. And my parents didn't let me listen. They didn't let me listen to non-Christian music. And so, but I got into REM at some point, whatever, and several other bands um, that rhyme with rural and ham. Uh, and um, I started listening to them. Pearl Jam, okay. So um, I, we, were, we were taken... A, a youth camp, summer camp trip, and I wanted to listen to R.E.M. so bad, and so I convinced my youth pastor that I had this Christian tape, and he, of course, never heard of them, and so I had, it said, by the way, a tape was like a little square thing like this, and it had little holes like that, and cranked and turned some ribbon, and you listen to music, for those of you who are under 30. So, um, so I gave it to him, and what I wrote on there, it had R.E.M. on it, and I wrote, Righteous Evangelistic Ministers. That is so cheesy and stupid to begin with, but he believed me and stuck it in. I was like, yes. So for just a few moments on the way to summer camp, we listened to secular music and God still moved. He still moved even in summer camp. So, um, and then he, soon he realized that it was not <clears throat> Christian music and, and I never was allowed to do that again. Um, but R.E.M. came up with a song and it just talks about everybody hurts. And it's just, it like, it spoke about things that we all knew that we all felt, that we all go through, that we all think, but we rarely articulate. And, and in fact, it, it, it has a video. In fact, Chris, if you don't mind, let's just play that right now. I was going to play it for you in a little bit. Let me, let me just play this video. They did this simple music video. I'm going to just play a couple minutes for you. And all they did was they filmed it as they drove on a California highway. And you'll see it starts off by first showing you the lyrics, and then it just starts off, and then it, then it continues, and the words are just simply what people are thinking about. And let's, let's play that right now. Go ahead and do that. 
And uh, go back to the 90s later on today and watch that again. But that song has come back over and over and over again because it's speaking about, I mean, frankly, if you, if you listen to it, he, it's an anti-suicide song. It's begging people, please, as much as you think you're hurting, as much as you think you're all alone, you're not alone. And it's come back up again and it, and it, it gained in some popularity or just the conversation again, um, even when Netflix put out a widely popular um, series on teenage suicide called 13 Reasons Why a couple years ago. Really, really popular in its first season. It hasn't done as well quite in second. We'll see in third, and I haven't really watched it myself. But it, it followed the story of someone who wrote a book about someone who committed suicide, and then when they f- discovered her and, and, um, or, or him, I don't remember, but they found a, a journal, and it talked about all these reasons why. I think it was a girl that committed suicide because of bullying and things that had happened. And there's a, there's a huge call right now even for young people that, that, that depression, anxiety on the rise and suicide is, is high. But it's across, our, it's across the country. As you guys know, I've talked about it since we moved in our building. That in fact in white rural America, hello, that would be us, that suicide and drug-related, um, uh, drug and alcohol-related deaths oftentimes related to self-injury in certain ways is on the rise so much that it's brought down the life expectancy in the United States in the last 10 years. Unreal, unreal. People trying to figure this out in such a, a wonderful country. Listen, you don't escape this. R.E.M. wrote about it, but it's, it's the human condition. It's what we've all gone through, and it's what we've all gone through at different points and different times in our life. And, and I think God is going to use this, and I've been praying that he will use this series on hope in the dark to speak to those of you who whether, maybe, maybe you're in a place of darkness right now, I mean, you're really going through it. Like Nate said <clears throat> in, the, in the worship time, you're in the fire, you're in the storm right now. If you're not, then you probably either just came out of it or, I don't mean to be a pessimist, but you might be looking at one coming on the horizon because life just doesn't go perfectly if you haven't noticed. It's like creation. You have three great days and then boom, the storm hits out of nowhere and things are destroyed. 
And we all go through that, which is why R.E.M. wrote the song. But I'm so thankful for the Bible because the Bible talks about this stuff thousands of years ago. They weren't the first people to bring this up, you know. And instead of looking at the Bible, as people oftentimes do, as some out-to-date book or something full of lies, man, when you really take an honest look at Scripture, you realize it speaks honestly to us about the human condition. And it says things that we've been saying and asks questions that we've been asking for hundreds and thousands of years. And here's this prophet, Habakkuk. I mean, this is well over 2,000 years ago, probably 3,000, uh, almost 3,000 years ago, who is writing some of the things that we write about. I want to look at this in, in Habakkuk 1. 1, verses 2 through 4. And just a really brief context, if you were here in our last series on Don't, Don't Look Down, we, we, we talked about Zechariah and how we moved back to Judah um, uh, because the, the Babylonians had destroyed that nation and, um, and he was trying to rebuild the temple and rebuild the city and he was discouraged because there was, there was just such little things that were, were, were starting and were happening. And it's interesting, Habakkuk's almost a contemporary, he was just a little bit before that time when there was just an evil, evil king in Judah, and then the Babylonians were coming. And he is just wrestling with and, and, and contemplating and struggling with God over all that he sees. So I want to read these words to you because you're going to find that you relate to this guy several thousand years ago. It's going to be like, boom, he is planted right here in June of 2019. Uh, and this is what he says, Habakkuk 1 verses 2 through 4. He says, how long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Let's stop right there real quick. We're not even fully through one verse. Sound like any of your prayers ever? No, there's not an honest person in the room. I mean, is anybody, okay, we got three people. Thank you for being honest. Like, have anybody ever said, God, how long am I going to ask you for this? Am I going to pray for this? And you are not listening. We, we've said that prayer, haven't we? How long, God, am I going to be single? I mean, how long until you bring that husband or that wife around? How long, God, do I have to put up with this boss? Prayed that one, right? If your boss is here, ignore that. Uh, how long do I have to put up with this job? How long am I going to have to watch my kids suffer? How long is this issue going to be in my life, this addiction or in my marriage? I mean, I, I think if we're all honest, we've all prayed that in one way or another. And maybe we've stopped or we're continuing, but it gets, it gets old. God, I mean, how long? This is what he's saying. How long must I call for help and you don't listen? You know, how, you know God, I'm not going to keep doing this forever. And Habakkuk is just being honest. I love it. It's a little depressing, this whole book of Habakkuk, and especially chapter one as he's expressing this, but I think it's refreshingly honest. Because as I could just shared a moment ago, as, as human beings, and then I think even as Christians, sometimes we're worse than just normal human beings if we're still considered human beings, um, because we think because we have this faith in God that we can't be honest about our struggles. We can't be honest about our doubts. And almost sometimes we, we put on this mask, this front, and we almost make it worse. Because just to be human, uh, ever since the garden, we're trying to cover ourselves up from our, our nakedness, our shame, our, our, where we fall short, where we're inferior. And we cover ourselves up. And then as Christians, it's almost like we meet God and we thank Him for His forgiveness, but we don't understand His grace. And so we're, we're, we continue to do it instead of letting His grace cover us up. And, and, and we, we, we oftentimes just don't want to admit that we're frustrated with God. But I think, I think some of you are. I mean, statistics would say that, you, that, that a good number of you are right now or you have been. And you know what? Let Habakkuk be refreshing to you that the, the, the Bible and God, are, is, are, uh, he's not worried about your questions. In fact, your questions and REM's questions, uh, or, or, or I'll read you, or play with you another song here in just a minute, but the questions that we have even today are not new to God 
People have been asking these questions in every generation and every time period, and God is okay. He, in fact, He encourages you to be honest. So how long, the Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? So that's personal. Let's read the second half of this verse. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you don't come to save me. So let's say this. If you're not someone who's going through anything tough right now, or maybe even in your life, never, nothing's been too bad, and some of us have that testimony. That'd be true a lot in my life. That I mean, my childhood and most of my life have been great. Um, but there's still things that bug me and maybe that bug you, not in your own life, but in the world. God, how can you let people treat people this way? How can you let people do this to children, to, 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 to enslave them, to get them into human traffic? How can you allow people, uh, countries to war against each other for, for people to hurt one another like this, to reject people, whatever it might be? If you, don't, if you don't see the personal pain and struggle in your own life, you might be someone that just questions God about the injustice you see in the world. I think Habakkuk is speaking all of our language. He's just frustrated with what he sees around him. And he's wanting to know, God, where are you in this? And we've all been there. Verse three, must I forever see these evil deeds? Are you gonna make me go on like this, God? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. He's not just talking about his family. Uh, Verse four, the law has become paralyzed, meaning like all this structure and law you set up, it's not doing a bit of good. And there's no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that the justice has become perverted. You know, I was was talking to this young, young man recently. He's in high school. He came, met with me in my office. He was really struggling. I mean, really struggling, despair in life. And I asked him, like, what, what is really causing this? What's, what's the root of it? And you know what he said? I mean, so, some, of, some people maybe who are older would almost maybe, almost maybe laugh at this in a way, but he just said, it just feels like just evil outnumbers the good in the world. And you know, some of us might be like, um, really? I mean, come on. Like, I mean, can't, but for him, this is a big deal. And you know, I found this to be true for a lot of young people, that when they just look out of the horizon, they just think, I don't know, I don't see good winning only in the movies, I don't see it in everyday life. I don't see it in my life. I don't see it in my friends' life. And Habakkuk is there. I just love his, the raw honesty. God, as far as I see it, you are losing. I mean, badly. Evil and injustice are winning, God. I mean, they are, they're, they're smoking you. And I don't get it, is what he's saying. God, I don't understand where you are in the midst of all this. Thus, thus uh, this, this human condition, we write songs about it, like R.E.M. and many, many others. And, and, and Craig Rochelle, who's the author of this book, he says this, one of his primary point, points of the book that we'll kind of use as a guide just as we go the next few weeks. To really know God, though, listen, you have to wrestle through pain, struggle with honest doubts, and even live with unanswered questions. It's really interesting, even this statement, it's like kind of like hopeful, and at the same time, it leaves you kind of wanting, it kind of drops you off, like, huh? And it's really true. That it's okay to know that you're going through pain and struggle, that it's okay God's not forgotten you or he hasn't left you, but at the same time, you know you're going to have to live sometimes with unanswered questions. And you know what's interesting? He, the author points out the meaning of the word Habakkuk. Really interesting, this, this Hebrew word for the writer of this book who's struggling and wrestling with God, the names of prophets and writers in books are oftentimes very significant in the Bible. And you know what his name means? It means both to wrestle and to embrace to wrestle and embrace. And this is a lot of times the dichotomy, this, this, this ambivalence, this both sides um, that are happening when, when, we're, when we're walking through this time with God is that 
that we are upset and we want to wrestle with him. Why don't you fix something? Why don't you do something about this? Well, at the same time, we're, we're repulsed by him because of the evil and injustice that's happened to us in the world. But at the same time, we still want to embrace him, though it's awfully hard to figure that out. And we're, we're back and forth with, with God wanting to, wanting to embrace him and accept him and who he is, but at the same time, being frustrated because of what's happened to us or what we see in the world. And Habakkuk's name says, hello, welcome to the struggle. You're going to have this dual feelings oftentimes. And if you're a parent, you know what this is like with your kids. <laughs> oh, I just want to tear you up and hug you at the same time sometimes, right? Ugh. And we do this with God, like we just, oh, I'm so mad that you'd make me go through this or this would be done to me or this is happening in the world. Well, at the same time, I long for you, God, just to wrap your arms around me and protect me and keep me safe. You know what? It's okay. God said several thousand years ago, you know what? Through his, 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 his prophet Habakkuk, it's okay you feel that way. It's all right. In fact, you should know that you're not alone in your pain nor in your questions to God about why. You're not alone. In fact, more than a third of the Psalms are prayers or songs of people in pain, more than a third of them. I think it's interesting. I, I had this thought for years. Uh, when I was young, uh, the Psalms didn't mean much to me, honestly. I mean, I read them. I memorized some of them when I had to, uh, but they didn't mean that much to me. And as I've gotten older, probably in my life a little bit before I moved here, but especially since I moved here, and I've gone through more things and more painful things and things that have happened in my life, I find that I really love the Psalms. And I wonder if that's true for any of you here, because I've heard many people say over the last couple of years, which is why I even say this, I've never said this publicly before about that, about myself, but I've heard many people tell me recently, you know, I never used to read the Psalms, and now I find, I find a lot of hope in them. And I find that the person talking to me is someone who's going through a divorce, or someone who's struggling with their health, or someone who's wrestling through with stuff with their kids, and all of a sudden, the Psalms are really becoming meaningful. Why? They're there just waiting for us until we hit that place of darkness, and then guess what? We identify with them. Why? Because a third of them are written out of people's frustration, just like Habakkuk. God, where are you? God, when are you going to do something? You're not alone. You're not by yourself in all this. In fact, many of us are like the father in the gospel of Mark who approached Jesus, whose son had a terrible affliction, probably um, had some demon possession. I mean, who knows how that got involved in his life, but things were terrible and he was not doing good. He was injuring himself. He was hurting himself. Uh, all kinds of terrible things happening. And, the, and, the, and, and this father comes to Jesus and is just like, can you do something for my son? Listen to what it says here, a couple verses. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answers. Can you imagine, and maybe you can not even just imagine, but maybe you're, you're there right now in your life with your own kids, or maybe it's in your marriage or a family situation, and you're just at your wit's end. And here's this dad, his whole life, he's just been like this. I mean, is there any hope? And he brings him to Jesus. And I would venture to say that this dad was almost like, I don't even know that I really want to believe that God can do this because I, I've tried so many things that it's hard to even hope again. I'm sure some of you have been there. He says from childhood, it's thrown him into the fire or water to kill him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. He doesn't even, he doesn't even have the gumption anymore to say, Jesus, would you heal us? He just says, would you just take pity on us? Maybe some of you are there right now that you just have gotten so used to the darkness that you're just saying, God, just, just help me to live in the darkness. Help me to get through the darkness and you don't expect it to ever change. But Jesus has a greater gift for this father and for you than that. He says, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, and I think this is a true statement for so many of us. He says, I do believe, but would you help me overcome my unbelief? 
You know, for, for a lot of us, we do believe in God. We do believe in his son, Jesus. But we still wrestle with just so much unbelief because of what we've experienced and what we've gone through, things that have been left undone. And if that's your prayer today, if that's where your life is today, I pray that this book and this series and just your time with God over the next uh, five or so weeks would just encourage you that you're, first of all, not alone with this, this struggle, right? This wrestle and embrace. I believe and yet I don't believe. I believe, but I struggle with unbelief. I believe, but I still have so many doubts. You're not alone. And I want to encourage you to bring those doubts and those struggles to God and see if he won't meet you there. I believe that he will. I believe that he will. I do believe it helped me overcome my unbelief. Here, one other song. Today's kind of a song Sunday. I thought of a couple songs. I'll fast forward a couple decades to, I don't know, maybe the mid-2000s. We're getting closer, sorry. Um, but there's another band that became really popular out of um, Colorado. Um, I didn't play their tape in youth group and wouldn't have been allowed to either. Um, but um, they're a band called The Fray. I don't know if you, any of you have heard them. Um, they, they were, a couple of them anyway, it came from Christian homes or Christian backgrounds and so had some faith, but they don't call themselves a Christian band or anything. But they wrote a couple songs that were just raw. The one that got them on the map was uh, about a, a young boy that they, he tried to mentor and just was, was struggling to um, help. And, then, and then, they, then they wrote another one that sold millions called You Found Me. And the, 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 the lead singer, Isaac Slade, um, he says, here's, here's where this song came from. He said, he, he found himself pondering why bad things happen to good people after witnessing various crises among people close to the singer. The lyrics of this tune came from these deliberations. He says on their website, and I'll quote, this song is about disappointment, the heartache, the letdown that comes with life. Sometimes you're let down, sometimes you're the one who lets someone else down. It gets hard to know who you can trust and who you can count on. The song came out of a tough time and I'm still in the thick of it when he wrote this. There's some difficult circumstances my family and friends have been through going over the past year, have been going through over the past year and can be overwhelming. It wears on me. It demands so much of my faith to keep believing, keep hoping in the unseen. Sometimes the tunnel has a light at the end, but usually they just look back, look black as night. The song is about that feeling and the hope that I still have buried deep in my chest. You know, this is a modern-day psalm. It really is. It's just like Habakkuk. God, I don't see the light. I don't see where it ends. I, 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 where are you? And his biggest question in the song, you found me, you found me, what, lying on the floor. You found me, lost and insecure, but you found me. God, you showed up, but you showed up too late. And he's just really being honest and raw. In fact, I, I just, let's listen to the first like minute, 25 seconds or so, uh, because this, this opening lines are what's really interesting, and I'll, I'll read you one more quote from where they came from. I found God on the corner of first and I'm where the west was all but one. All alone Smoking his last cigarette I said, where you been? He said, ask anything Where were you? When everything was falling apart All my days Spent by telephone
Oh, it makes you want to listen to the whole song. I don't know. I like that song. <laughs> but he said, where did this come from? So there are interesting lines here at the very beginning, if you caught this. It says, I found God on the corner of First and Amistad, where the West was all but one. He said, smoking his last cigarette. And this image of him was, God, I've been going through pain. My family's been going through pain. Where are you? And he says, I, I have this image that you're just standing on the corner like you don't even care, smoking a cigarette. I don't think he's the only one that's felt that way. He, he said this, I dreamt I ran into God on a street corner. He looked like Bruce Springsteen. That's interesting, different picture than usually Jesus or God has. And he was smoking a cigarette. I had it out with him and asked, where were you when all this bad stuff was happening to these undeserving good people? You need to know something, whether it's this, this lyric of this song or, or many other songs or even just the Psalms of Scripture or Habakkuk. But God invites this kind of struggle and wrestling. He invites you to bring it to Him. That's one of the first things I want you to catch in this series. And then one more just simple thing this morning, but that you're not alone and God invites you to bring your struggle. I love this. He says, I said, where have you been? And He said, ask anything. And so He just was honest. And I think we need to be honest. God, where were you when everything was falling apart? All my days spent by the phone just waiting for you to call that never came. You found me then, finally, too late, lying on the floor, surrounded. Why did you have to wait? It's okay to be honest. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to have the struggle and to ask God, where were you? But, but let's not just stop there today. I want to take this to the next step. In fact, let me just read you one more quick thing. Um, John eleven uh, twenty one. This question was asked a long time ago. It's been asked throughout the ages When Mary and Martha's brother Lazarus passed away, they asked Jesus to come and pray for him to be healed before he died. Jesus didn't show up right away, and by the time he got there, Lazarus was dead, and Mary said the same thing. It's like she could have wrote this song. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Where were you? In other words, where were you, God, when I needed you? Now here I am, just lying on the floor. My brother's dead. Thanks a lot, Jesus. You're not, you're not alone in your frustration. But I heard a Christian apologist who is a defender of the Christian faith, is an apologist, who once said this, don't forget that when we ask this question, why is there suffering and what kind of God would allow suffering, is that every person, philosophy, religion, and even belief, even if it's just science, has to still answer that same question. This is what's so important, what I want to leave you with today. It's not just Christians that have to answer the question, where does all this evil and suffering fit in the world? Anybody that has any belief system or anything that you're, you want to give your life to or believe in needs to be able to answer that question. You need to be able to wrestle with all the answers to that. And nobody's going to answer it perfectly. I, I can tell you that today because for thousands of years, no one's ever been able to answer that question perfectly. But I do think that there's a different type of answer. But everyone needs to answer that. And so you have to wrestle through that yourself. It's not just Christians. But here's the deal. Christians have a unique way of having to answer this question because typically it gets framed like Craig wrote in the book, a friend of his whose wife died. Here's, here's what he said. I think I have this up on the screen. It says, if there is a God, then there's no way he's good. A good God would not let some drunk idiot kill my wife and let the idiot live. And if God is good, then there's no way he's in control of things or that wouldn't have happened to her. I'm not even sure anymore that God exists. And if he does, well, then I don't want to have anything to do with that kind of God that would let something like that happen. Whew, those are real honest words. And I've talked to people who've said things like that. But here's what I want you to catch today. I hope you catch this. 
that there's only one type of God that these kind of questions are framed to. Because listen, what, what does he say here? There's no way he's good. Or if he's good, there's no way he's in control. That's the paradox of God that we wrestle with as Christians with the idea of suffering. Psalm 62, 11 through 12 says this, one thing God has spoken, two things I've heard, that you, O God, are strong and that you, are God, you O God, are loving. It's the fact that God claims to be both loving and strong, which makes the Christianity or the faith in, in God uh, difficult when you pose this question of what's, what, how can God allow evil and suffering in the world? Because if God's not good, what's the question? Why is there evil and suffering in the world? Well, God probably did it. I mean, if he's not good, then he's the source or he's, he's part of evil. Or if he is good, but he's not in control, he's not powerful. If he's not good and loving or powerful, strong, right, then, well, he's, he's good, he's loving, he loves us, but why did he allow these things to happen? Well, he's not strong enough to stop it. The only thing that really gives the, the question teeth is the fact that God says, I'm both loving and I'm strong. I'm both good and loving and I'm strong. Because if your God is not powerful enough, then, well, he couldn't stop it. Well, what kind of God is that to begin with? Or if your God is not good and loving because he causes evil, well, do you want to follow that God anyway? No. It's a paradox, and here's the deal. You have to walk through it. You have to walk through it. It's what makes God so beautiful and so unique is that he doesn't answer all your questions, but he says, I'm all that you want. I'm all that you really want and need in a God. But here's the, here's the best part. This is what I want you to catch. Job in, in, in the Bible wrestles with this very thing and gives us the answer that we'll come to in just a moment. If you know, let me say this real quick, for those of you who don't know, Job is a man who lost everything. You think you've had a bad day or a bad week? Like, no, 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 Job lost everything, his family, his children, his business, I mean everything. And he starts wrestling with God, just like all of us do, just like Habakkuk, just like R.E.M., just like the fray, wondering what's going on and what, what do I do from here? And Job gets really honest at one point in Job 9. He says this, after his friends have not really been helping him, he speaks again, it says, if someone wanted to take God to court, would it, would it be possible to answer him even once in a thousand times? For God is so wise and so mighty, who has ever challenged him successfully? He's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna outsmart God with why all this has happened to me. I have no hope, he's so wise. Verse 10, he does great things, too marvelous to understand. He performs countless miracles, yet when he comes near, I can't see him. When he moves by, I don't see him go. If he snatches someone in death, who can stop him? Who dares to ask, what are you doing? He's like, I can't outsmart God. He's, he's more powerful than me, and we don't have time, but he goes on and on through Job 9 here, verse 13 and 19. He's just like, what, what's the point of trying to ask God this? He's so big and so, so, so infinite and so, so out there, it's impossible. But here's what we want to get to, verse 32. He says, God is not a mortal like me, so I have no hope. I can't argue with him or take him to trial. Listen, if only there was a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together, the mediator could make God stop beating me and I would no longer live in terror of his punishment. Then I could speak to him without fear, but I cannot do that on my own strength. Here it is, probably one of the first books of the entire Bible, probably the first book that was actually written down or recorded, the earliest transcript we have, already speaking about the importance of Jesus in the midst of pain and suffering. What's Job saying? I can't figure all this out. I don't know why it's happening, but even if I could talk to God, which I can't because I can't see him, I don't know where he's at, and he's impossible to even get a hold of, even if I could do that, I wouldn't be able to argue my case because he's too wise and too big and too powerful. He says, I need a mediator. What's the Bible telling us early, early on? Oh, but there is a mediator. And here's the deal. When you wrestle with pain and suffering, 
it's just really important who you talk to. Isn't it important who you talk to just in general? Have you ever had, a couple years ago, maybe it was last year, we were on vacation. Yeah, we were at the beach and we left a whole bunch of things in our beach house because that hurricane was coming through. And so I, 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 we got back after a couple weeks and I emailed them and I said, hey, I left all these things. And I said, the room, the counter, I mean, we knew where it was because we left in a hurry. And I got a response back. Well, we'll let you know if we find him. I'm like, that's not good enough, right? And so I called back, hello, right? And, and hello, what can I do for you? Well, we left all these things and I sent an email. Well, sure, we'll check on it. And we'll get back to you. Thanks for calling. No, 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 no. Like, this is not hard. I told you right where they are. No one's rented this place. And it's just no one would help me. It drives me nuts. When I, when I get on a call like that, I'm usually praying, God, do you ever do this? I'm like, God, give me somebody who is going to help me, like who will, who will take, pick up my case. Anybody ever feel that way? Like you buy something, you bring it home and it breaks and you're like, oh no, you gotta call customer service. And you want that person who's gonna sympathize with you, don't you? Like, oh, that's happened to me before. I'll make sure you're taken care of. Anybody ever do that? You pray that way, right? Because who you talk to changes everything. Who you talk to changes everything. And let me tell you, when you wrestle with pain and suffering, who you talk to changes everything about how you go through it. And Job spoke early on and said, it doesn't work, God, to talk to you. You're too far. I can't see you. You're too wise. I need someone I can talk to. And God says, you will. You'll have my son. And do you remember the encounter with him and doubting Thomas? Thomas gathered there with all the disciples. He's like, I won't believe until I see it. And Jesus shows up and he says, Thomas, look at the holes in my hand. Look at the slice in my side. Thomas, look what I've done for you. Do you believe? And Thomas finally says, yes, I believe. Now, that that was good for him and his faith to trust that Jesus was resurrected, but it's still the same for you today. Listen, when you go through pain and you go through suffering, you're not talking to some infinite God who's way out there. You're talking to Jesus who says, take my hand, see the holes? I know how you feel. You see the holes? I went through this for you. You may not get it all. You may not understand it all. It may not make sense, but you are going to walk with and hold the hand of someone who knows how you feel and went through all that for you. It changes everything. You'll never be. The human mind, the hum- humanity will never be satisfied with the answer of why there's suffering and evil in the world. But I'll tell you this, you can be satisfied while you're going through suffering and evil when you're holding the hand of someone who said, I went through all this for you and I promise that I'll walk through it with you. Those people that know Jesus, that take his hand, Those are the ones that I've watched in my life that have gone through the most terrible things and they never question, they never doubt God. It's not that they don't question and doubt why he's doing things and why things happen. No, they do that, but they don't question, they don't doubt him because how can you question and doubt the hand who is pierced for you to begin with? How do you question that God actually loves you? Yeah, I, I don't get all that. I don't understand why that's happening, but I can't question the fact that he has holes in his hands and a slit on his side for me, for me. And that God changes everything when you begin to hold his hand and begin to talk about the pain and the suffering that you're going through. When you are in pain, there's only one God who you can go to who knows how you feel. And if you wrestle with him and seek him and cling to him, God will meet you in your pain. Would you stand to your feet with me? Jesus was there. Just close your eyes before we sing this last song. And we taught you this new song, and I want to finish with it today. But Jesus was there on that cross in Psalm 22. Listen carefully. Your eyes closed. And he, he, he spoke, and he identified himself with all of us. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
he quoted what a human being just like you and me wrote down many, many hundreds of years earlier and said, God, I feel like you've forsaken me. I feel like you've, you've, you've just abandoned me. And I think Jesus drew attention to that psalm because he was both saying, I identify right now with how you feel that it seems like God is forsaken with you. But I believe Jesus was also pointing to the fact that most of those Jewish people that would have heard that would have had that whole psalm memorized and would also know how it and also know how it ends. Where it says, despite the fact that I feel abandoned, despite the fact that I feel lost, God hears the cry of everyone and not a single prayer, not a single tear, not a single cry goes unheard by God. And eventually he will restore, he will redeem. And it says at the end of Psalm 22, to a new generation yet unborn, they will hear the praises and the righteousness of God. We have to know that and believe in that, not because of some God out there, but because of the God who says, take my hands, the very hands that were pierced for you. You won't understand it all, but this you can know. I love you and my life is for you. So church, why, why our eyes are closed and why our heads are bowed as the worship team begins to sing the song, would you just let God speak to you today before we go? Before I close you in prayer, would you just allow God to speak to you? Maybe you've just really been a place of struggle and you've really struggled and you've been starting to doubt God. You've been feeling far from him. Allow him to draw you close today. Or maybe you're someone who's just never given your life to Jesus because you've wrestled with these things and yet today there's something in your heart that is saying, but open it up to the one who has suffered and died for you. Let's just allow God to speak to you. I think he will if you'll allow him to come to those places of pain. Let's sing this together and then we'll close in prayer.
church, I could just hear Jesus speaking to some of you today. I know maybe you've never relayed that story with Thomas to yourself, but it's like you're saying, God, but why? Why did you take my child? Why did you take my marriage? Why did you allow this sickness? And Jesus is saying, come here and see the holes in my hands and the hole in my side. Don't doubt for a minute that I love you and that I'm going through this with you. Don't doubt just because of the situation that's happened or the job that you lost or this this place of loneliness or without friends you may find or you, you feel like things have not come together. Jesus is saying, look at my hands, look at my side, child. I know what you're going through and I went through this because of what you're going through. Look at the holes, look at my side. Don't doubt that I love you and don't doubt that I'm committed to you. No religion, no philosophy, no other place you take your question of why is there evil in the world can someone look back and say, I can't give you all the answers for you to comprehend, but I can tell you this, I'm with you in the midst of it. And I went through it because I loved you. Close your eyes with me. And God, may that answer, may that answer on this side of heaven just simply be enough that you proved the greatest commitment that you died for us. The greatest commitment is not necessarily that you rescue us from everything. The greatest commitment was you went through the fire. You went through and you died for us so that we would not have to walk it alone. And I thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Church, would you pray with me all together? Let's pray together before we go today. Say, dear Father, thank you for sending your son. Jesus, who died on that cross, for me, for my sins, for all the things that I have done that have been against you. You didn't hold them against me, but you still loved me and came for me even though I was your enemy. And today I thank you for that. Father, I won't understand it all. I admit it right now. I won't get it all the time but I choose to trust and to have faith in the fact that you love me because you proved it by your sending your son, Jesus. And I will trust in him in your name. Amen. Don't open your eyes for a second. The Bible makes it so clear. That simple prayer of just acknowledging who God is and that his son was sent for you, for your sins to be forgiven. The Bible says as simple as that, to believe in your heart, to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, is to receive God's salvation. And I believe today that there are some of you, and maybe, maybe even just the stuff that's happened to you or in this world has kept you from giving your life to Jesus. But today you're feeling drawn to him for whatever reason. If you said that prayer, and today you really meant it, you've never prayed that before, and you're saying, today I, want, I really, I meant it, and I'm giving my life to Jesus. Would you just look up at me and raise your hand? I just want to receive you and pray for you today. Okay, I see you and for you three. Amen. Yeah, amen. Yeah, for you. Okay, buddy. Yeah. Who else? Who else? I don't want to miss you. Okay, for you, ma'am. Yeah, amen. Amen. Who else would just say, I'm saying it. I mean it today. That prayer is coming. You said it, but that prayer is mine. Thank you, Lord. Anybody? Okay, for you, sir. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all of these, Lord, right now making decisions for you. Lord, thank you, God, that they, they recognize that you are a God who is both loving and powerful. And though we won't understand that paradox, God, we trust you because you sent your son, Jesus. Church, real quick before you go, though, how many of you would just say, you know what, the prayer of that father is my prayer today. 
things have happened to me in my life, whether recently or a long time ago, and it's really caused me to doubt God a lot. It's really, I've really struggled in my relationship with him, and I feel like that dad saying, God, today, that's my prayer. I believe, but man, help me with my unbelief. My unbelief seems sometimes to outweigh my belief. And if that's you, you don't need to look up at me, but would you just lift your hand and say, God, I, I want you to accept that prayer from that, just like you accepted the prayer from that father, I want you to accept that prayer from me today. God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Just representing whatever you've gone through, whatever you experienced in your life, would you just renew that call of faith? Just say, God, help me to continue to believe in you in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the storm, in Jesus' name. God, you see these hands all over the room. God, we're just expressing, Lord, what you love to hear and what you appreciate from that dad. We don't get it all. We still have doubts. But God, we are choosing today to say, God, we'll bring our unbelief to you and say, God, we'll just trust you in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down. Real quick before you go, not only is there people up front here to pray with, which we've been talking all morning long about don't do life and do following God on your own. Please come let them pray with you. But I cannot stress enough to get in a group this week. Some of these groups are going through Hope in the Dark. I don't know, it's like five or six. And then there's probably 30 or 40 other groups of just various things. Don't do it alone. Please join us with one of these groups. And then don't forget to pick up your copy of Hope in the Dark. And I want you to hear this because I want you to rush off. I, I got them for probably just over nine bucks each, but we're charging 10. As I preached a couple weeks ago, if you remember on privilege, we can always extend our privilege to others. I know some of you in this room can't even afford $10. And I want you to feel no shame. I don't want you to feel any guilt to just walk up and say, I can't afford it right now. And just, can I have a book? Yes, you may. The rest of us that can afford the extra dollar are making a way for you. In fact, several people already gave donations for more books in first service. And so I don't want any of you to leave here today if you say, I can't afford that book. Or I can afford one for me, but I can't afford one for my son. Take take what you need and give it to them. That's, that's how God uses all of us to take care of each other, okay? If you need it, take it. If you can pay 10 bucks, thank you for doing that. You'll help someone else um, be able to read it. Maybe you'll help us next time if you can't this time. So pick it up in the back. We, we actually just now start taking credit cards back there. I mean, you shouldn't probably go on credit cards if you can't afford it. Um, but uh, if, you, if you want debit cards or credit cards or cash, they can take it all right back at the Welcome Center. I just want you to take a copy of this and be reading it over the summer and get into one of our groups. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. The cafe's open. Spend some time together with each other before you go home today. God bless.